0: Before I get to my next guest, Bob Ford, I want to give a shout out to our friends over at Strixon Cleveland Golf. Your best performance starts with the right golf ball at Strixon. A global leader in golf ball technology and innovation, Strixon offers a wide variety of award-winning golf balls for golfers of every skill level. Whether you're searching for a tour performance golf ball or a distance golf ball with incredible feel, Strixon provides the best golf balls at incredible prices. Srixon offers a wide variety of personalized options while also developing a highly visible colored golf ball as well. Select the right golf ball for your game today and trust it with Srixon. Check them out online at Srixon.com. S-R-I-X-O-N.com. Find the right golf ball for your game today. I also want to remind you about our friends over at Sun Mountain. There's a company nestled in the valley of Missoula, Montana that embodies the essence of quality, function, and innovation, and that's Sun Mountain, which started building golf bags back in 1981. They are an industry leader in golf bags, travel covers, outerwear, and push carts. With flagship products that you've come to know, like the C-130 cart bag, the 2.5 ultralight stand bag, the club glider travel cover, the speed cart, and Rainflex rain gear, Sun Mountain continues its quest to provide the very best in golf products to every range of golfer. Visit them online at sunmountaingolf.com to look at their amazing products. Okay, now back in next on the tee with me is one of the top instructors and PGA professionals of all time, and that's Bob Ford. Bob has been a great player and instructor for over five decades. Grew up in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. Played his college golf at the University of Tampa from 1971 to 75. He was inducted into their Sports Hall of Fame in 2006. He was also inducted into the Allegheny-Kiskey Valley Sports Hall of Fame in 1996. Our good friend Gus Farad is also a member of that Hall of Fame. Bob was inducted into the Western Pennsylvania Sports Hall of Fame in 1998 and the PGA Professional Hall of Fame in 2005. He was the head professional at both Oakmont Country Club and Seminole Golf Club, two of the top courses anywhere in the world. As a player, Bob won the Pennsylvania Open three times. He played in the U.S. Open three times and 10 PGA championships as well. He was the 2017 Bob Jones Award recipient, which is presented annually to the individual who demonstrates the spirit, personal character, and respect for the game exhibited by Bobby Jones. And I'm honored to have Bob back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Bob, thanks for coming back on the show.
1: Chris, happy to, happy to come back, and uh, I understand a belated birth,
0: birthday to you. I appreciate that very much. Thank you, sir. Bob, I got to ask you, I know you retired last summer. Have you been able to stay retired or are we pulling you back in the game?
1: Well, I say that I'm retired. I don't have a job per se, (laughs) but uh, I am staying pretty busy. And I can tell you retirement is not overrated. I've had a ball since June. June 1st is when I retired from Seminole, having retired from Oakmont in 2016 after the U.S. Open there, and uh, just had a ball, you know, doing things I really haven't been able to do for, you know, 40 years. So just being in charge of my own uh, 24 hours a day uh, has been a thrill for me.
0: Bob, like most everybody knows, and I mentioned in your intro, you are the head golf professional at two of the most prestigious golf courses in the world, Oakmont and Seminole Golf Club. So it wasn't like you had jobs at small little country clubs where you might be able to find moments of peace of mind and get some time for yourself. How did you ever do that? How did you ever get time for yourself when you were, I have to imagine, always on call for the membership at both of those places year round?
1: Well, you know, you make time for yourself. And, uh, you know, I've got a great wife and three great kids. And, you know, we spent a lot of time together and the kids are all gone now, you know, go, gone their own way. but. uh you know, I, I gotta tell you, it, uh, it came pretty easy to me. And, uh, like I said, Nancy, my wife is incredibly, uh, supportive of all of that. And, you know, she was the strength of our family. And, uh, you know, I loved what I did. I really didn't look at it like it was, uh, it, it wasn't much of a challenge. It was all pretty easy. To, both those clubs are such high end clubs with high golf IQs that People were, you know, they were terrific. I, you know, nobody, nobody's too difficult. That's for sure. So it it came easy. It was fun. It went fast. And uh, but I put my time in, and uh, you know, now it's my turn, my my time to have fun.
0: Bob, one of the hot topics on tour is the emergence of a potential Saudi league. Some of the players looking to potentially go over there, play on that tour. But we've seen this thing before. In the late '60s, the touring pros broke away from the PGA of America because they weren't happy with what was going on there. They created their own entity called the American Professional Golfers. Eventually, they got folded back into the PGA of America. They became an autonomous division unto themselves, which what we call now the PGA Tour. So should players, especially the legends of the game, be really all that upset about a potential other tour because we've seen something similar before?
1: Chris, I, I, I don't... Uh I don't think it's good for the good of the game. I'm not a fan of it. I I really don't, you know, I think it's just whimpering. I don't know if it's even going to start. Uh, I just can't see any of our American players that, you know, still have game left, uh, are going to jump, uh, to this league. I I think it's, I think it's really filled with failure and, uh, I I just don't think it's going to happen. I really don't. I, I mean, they're, they're struggling so hard. They got to get 48 players and now they're down inviting amateurs to play. So, uh, you know, to, to have, have had all of the explosions that they've had and setbacks. I'm just surprised that the Saudis don't just pull the plug and sit back and try again and try a different route. Cause it's, uh, this, this is not working.
0: When I was looking back over the things that you've accomplished in your career, you had an opportunity to maybe shoot 59 or better at Latrobe Country Club, Mr. Palmer's home course. He owned the course record there. He shot 60 in September of 1969. I read that you were nine under with several holes to play, but you picked up your golf ball and you walked off the course because you didn't want to break Mr. Palmer's course record on his home course. Talk about why.
1: Well, it's sort of true. Uh you know, we were playing the Palmer Cup matches, which are the Tri-State PGA versus the West Penn amateurs. And, uh, I was fortunate to play with Ned Weaver, my partner, and we were playing against Sean Knapp and Nathan Smith, who were, you know, two of the best amateurs in the state and maybe, you know, the country at that time. I mean, you know, Nathan won four U.S. made amateurs. Sean just won the U.S. senior amateurs. So I mean, they were, they were great players, great friends of mine. And, uh, You know, I just had a hot hand that day, and you know they wanted I would quit on 14. I think the match was over on 14, and so I said, "Well, come on, you'll 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 end up breaking Arnie's record." Got another par five coming up, and an easy hole. So I said, "Come on, boys, let's go have a beer. We're not we're not doing that to Arnold." And Arnold's hometown, his home golf course, and he's kind enough to lend his name to our matches, and kind enough to play in them. He was in the group ahead of me. So, I mean, you'd have to be a real dork to, to you know, shoot 59 and take his record doing all the things that he'd done for us. So uh, it, it was an easy decision, and they made a little bit more of it than, than they should have. But uh, it was a fun day for me, I'll tell you that.
0: I bet it was. Speaking of Mr. Palmer, the 1994 U.S. Open at Oakmont was Mr. Palmer's final U.S. Open. It was fitting for him to go out playing one last open there. He wasn't going to make the cut, so that Friday was going to be his final round. But during the course of that day was the infamous police car chase of O.J. Simpson and his white Bronco on the freeway in L.A. Were you guys aware of what was taking place out there while simultaneously trying to keep watch as Mr. Palmer finished up his last round?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was that was big news. That's right. I kind of forgot about that, but you're right. Yeah.
0: What was it like for you and the staff? Because the King deserved a big deal and a big press conference and all the accolades from everything that he had meant to the game of golf and to the U.S. Open, the USGA, and certainly to Oakmont. How did you guys focus on him and give him what he deserved and what he was owed versus keeping an eye on what's going on out there in L.A.?
1: Well, we didn't, we didn't really have much time for O.J. and little white bronco. We, we were paying attention to Arnold and- You know, being on site there was just an incredible feeling and, uh, you know, the love for Arnold, the love that he had for the people of Western Pennsylvania, Oakmont and the game itself and the U.S. Open. Uh, You know, it's sad to see it come to an end.
0: Bob, I know you and Mr. Palmer got to spend a lot of time together over the years. What are some of your favorite memories of getting to spend time with him?
1: Well, I was just reminded of one by Jake Siegel the other day. I played with Jay down here in South Florida. And he said, remember 83, the practice tournament would play with Arnold. And I said, I sure do. And, uh, I had played with, um, or I had caddied for Crenshaw in the fall of what would have been 82. So if I, if I play in the open, we play a practice tournament with me. And he said he would. And I called him after I qualified and said, well, you know, let's play on. Uh, on Wednesday, he said, yeah, that'd be great. And I got Jay Siegel to play with us. I grew up catting for Jay and, uh, and, and Arnold was going to play with So we get to the golf course and, uh, Ben comes up and says, uh, Hey, I got Miller Barber to join. I'm like, boom, oh, geez, we already have four, you know, we're, we're all set. So well, I got to play with Miller, you know, can't, I can't dunk dust him so he said, why don't you ask, uh, PJ Boatwright was running in the open for the USJ at the time. So why don't you ask PJ? So I went up to PJ and I told him the story and, and he said, you got Arnold with you? I said, yes, sir, we do. And Arnold, uh, Arnold was going to play, you know, in the practice round with us. We got five though. He said, well, keep up with a group ahead of you, which he never, never let anybody play five, but cause Arnold was with us, McKing in Western Pennsylvania at Oakmont, he let us go. So. <laughs> we had a ball, it was great. But Arnold uh you know, he always invited me to play a practice round with him at the uh opens or PGAs that I happened to qualify for and he was just so good to me, it was incredible and just uh, obviously one of the one of the greatest guys in the in the game and in the world.
0: Speaking of qualifying, you qualified in twenty eighteen for the senior open championship. Talk about what it was like qualifying for that event and then getting in and being a part of it.
1: Well, you know, I'd never gotten to play St. Andrews, uh, in a, in a, in a championship like that. It was always a dream of mine, but you know, the British Open was always held in, in July, actually the same week as, uh, Oakmont's, uh, invitational. So I could never get away to try to qualify and go play in the British Open, which would have been a dream for me when I, you know, back when I could play, but the senior British was, uh, the next thing for me and, uh, yeah, I went over there, actually played in maybe three of them. And uh, the last one was the one at St. Andrews. And, uh, you know, to play in a, in a championship there and walk around those, those links it, it was religious for me. I didn't play very well, but uh, just had a great time. Just tried to soak it all in. Sadly, I was only there for two rounds, not four. But, but just to qualify and, and uh, play in it was a big deal for me. And, and to go that far and to qualify... You know, to miss and then go home a long way to go home after, you know, after a bad round. So at least I got to play. It was a real thrill.
0: Bob, one thing I think I know that I would love to do, and I'm sure many of our listeners would love to do is to just walk Oakmont with you as if you were the curator of it, of Oakmont as a great museum of golf history. If we got to take the journey with you around Oakmont, whether it was, you know, through the clubhouse or around the golf course, what are some really, I don't know, cool, interesting history moments that you would really want us to be able to see and experience?
1: Well, you know, I, I, I have the privilege to have some guests from time to time up there. And uh, hang on one second here. And, you know, the first thing we do is go through the clubhouse. Because the clubhouse itself is a museum. I mean, Oakmont is such an incredible part of the history of the game, you know, starting back in 1919 and with Bobby Jones and, you know, all the great players of all through the decades. And so they've all played there, which is very unusual for a golf course to still be in existence today, still hosting the best players in the world today. You know, a lot of the golf courses have gotten outdated and, and uh you know, they don't play championships there anymore, so... We've got kind of a history hall that has all the championships, uh, documented and, you know, some great pictures of them and, uh, you know, you just get a feel for that history. It's just extraordinary. Now the golf course, Chris, you know, is is void of a tree the way that the phone family, uh, intended for it to be a, a links like golf course. And, uh, you know, it's just to have it back to, him, and, and we've got actually have Gil Hans coming in 23 to, you know, I guess, you know, we've got to reduce some irrigation. We're going to redo the bunkers and we're going to expand some of the greens and extend a few more T's. And in, in, in light of the 25 US Open coming on. So, uh, he's, Gil has really studied the phone era, you know, since the phone, you know, actually died away in the early, in the late forties and early fifties. We've had Robert Frank Jones, we've had Fazio, we've had North Hills, we've had Fernand Garbin. You know, the list goes on of people touching Oakmont and, uh, Gill, uh, you know, he went back and studied all the features that, that the Phones family had and is really going back to all of those pictures and, and everything that he's going to put on the ground will have been there in the past and kind of get rid of all the, other things that some of these other architects have done, which, you know, which haven't been bad. I mean, Oakmont's been great all through the decades, but, you know, it's really one of the oldest courses in our country that, that has, that still hosts major championships. And that was the goal of the founders. You know, they set out to build one of the hardest golf courses in the world to challenge and, and host national championships. And that's kind of, that's our, that's their legacy. And it's up to us to, Continue that legacy. And It's not really up for question. It's not like, uh, do the members want to do it? The members don't have a choice. Well, that's what we're doing. And, uh, so that's, you know, walking around there and just feeling some of the shots, you know, the church pews, uh, the green complexes are just extraordinary. And, you know, to go back for five U.S. Opens and, you know, can go back and recall. You know, a number of turning points, a number of shots. I mean, Tiger just, just Tiger's round there on Sunday in 07. Just, I uh, just want to choke. He just played so beautifully and just came up with nothing. He just made nothing at Oakmont. You know, the the greens are so incredible there. And I told him, he came in April when the greens were bumpy. And I said, Tiger, when you come back in June, you're going to put on the best greens you've ever put on in your life. And you know, in the you know, like Larry Nelson, shoot 65, 67 on the weekend. and He must, you know, he made I don't know 15 birdies or something. So, you know, when it's doable out there, you can make a lot of birdies. And uh I think that's one of the great things about Oklahoma. I think the 07 Open was the only one that was in my five that was over par, and it was the only one that was dry. You know, Cabrera won obviously and beat. Uh, Jimmy Furyk and Tiger by a shot, but it was he was plus five. It was the only open at my five that they were over par. So they've been under par every time. It's been wet every time except for O seven. And uh and Tiger just uh he had it in his grip and he just couldn't make any putts. just amazing.
0: Bob, just a couple of more before I let you go. And you got to play around the golf with three guys who were the main characters in the nineteen sixty World Series. Ralph Terry Bill Mazeroski, and Bob Friend. For those that don't know, Bill Mazaroski of the Pirates hit a home run off Ralph Terry of the Yankees in the bottom of the ninth of game seven of the 1960 World Series to win that game and the series for the Pirates. But here, those three guys were back together playing around the golf with you at Oakmont. And like I say, Ralph Terry was a heck of a golf played out on the Champions Tour for a while. What was it like being with those three guys and playing around the golf at Oakmont?
1: Well, it was incredible. You know, Ralph Terry, he's one of the greatest guys ever. He, uh, you know, he won on the senior tour. He could really play golf. Just want he just passed away a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, he was a great friend of Dennis Walters, who's my dear friend here in Jupiter, who was paralyzed from a golf cart accident, you know, fledging young tour player and, and, and crippled now, you know, uh, paraplegic, uh, from the waist down. And, but he does all the trick shot shows and he, he's in the world golf holiday and he's getting ready. Dennis is getting ready to play in, you know, handicap tournaments and USA is actually going to have a US open in July for handicap players. And he's just, we've been working on his game and he's out in Houston this week playing in a golf tournament for the first time in 47 years. And he's like a kid in a candy store. And I'm so excited that Ralph Perry was an incredible friend to uh, Dennis because he was at the club with Dennis. The accident, of that. so, and he watched Dennis, you know, pick up his life and do what he did and is just a huge fan of his. But Ralph Terry was really one of the great guys, uh, in, in golf and in baseball. And, you know, Bob Friend was a terrific guy. He was actually my golf chairman at Oakmont for a number of years. He served on the board. He was, uh, a fun player, fun guy. His son, Bobby Friend played on the PJ Tour lost in a playoff to Billy Andre in Canada back in the early 90s and uh he's done playing now but he's a hard-working guy in the real estate business in Pittsburgh and uh great people and Mazeroski's mad I mean Maz is just the salt of the earth as good as they get and uh you know what a hero what a what a Pittsburgh hero he is and uh it was, a, you know, an incredible thrill, you know, for me to get to play with Arnold and Jack and, and then Mazarowski and Friend and, and those guys just, uh, really, really, really inspiring people and great stories and, uh, what a privilege to play with them.
0: Bob, one more. And like I mentioned in your intro, you won the twenty seventeenth Bob, uh, 2017 Bob Jones Award. When you watch the video and the number of people that are interviewed about you and what you've meant to them and the game, you could start a statement with Bob Ford is the greatest and fill in the blank here, and you could fill that blank with greatest club professional ever, greatest mentor, greatest tournament director, greatest teacher of the game. I could go on and on. That has to be awfully fulfilling, knowing what a great impact you've had, not only on the game, but on so many people's lives.
1: It's awful nice to you to say and, uh, it really, it's, even the Bob Jones award really has sunk in for me. But, uh, you know, you just be nice to people and, uh, anticipate their needs, take care of them and, uh, you know, good things happen to you. But, uh, my cup runneth over and, uh, you know, I'm 68 and my turn to get back a little bit more than I've gotten and, uh, and hopefully I can continue to do that for a while.
0: Well, Bob, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. It's always a huge thrill spending time with you. You're just one of the all-time greats in our game. And I thank you very much, and I hope I get the privilege of having you back on the show again soon.
1: Anytime, Chris. You take care of yourself, buddy. Thank
0: you. Ah, I appreciate you, Bob. Take care. All the best to you and your family. That is the great Bob Ford, folks. And when I say say this, I mean it with all sincerity. It just doesn't get any better not in our game, greatest professional, PGA professional of all time, one of the great individuals. And like I say, he won the Bob Jones Award for a reason. And that's because of the great and positive impact he's not only had on our game, but on so many people in and around our game. A great gentleman, a great champion, and uh, just a wonderful individual. And I am so thrilled that I get to spend some time with him. and, And I hope I get that opportunity again very soon.